0: edition of Rubber Guard Radio alrighty Alex are you on brother okay Alex are you on yeah I'm
1: here can you hear me
0: alrighty yeah technical issues here Uh, welcome to the December 19th edition of Rubber Guard Radio I am your host KZ and I have my tight team partner Alexane, on the other line. How you doing, brother?
2: Hey, I'm doing all right. How are you doing this evening?
0: Uh, not bad, not bad. In a Christmas spirit and ready to go. <laughs> uh, so, uh, ready for the Christmas. Are you, are you going home for the holidays? Or?
2: No, I went home
0: for Thanksgiving, so uh,
3: this Christmas uh, I'm just going to stay at the house. I got invited to go to a sushi place for Christmas, though. So I might be getting some sushi oh. for free. I'm not sure, but, yeah, I'm a huge sushi mark, so. Well,
0: there you go being being an independent worker, dude, whatever you can get for free is free, so Oh
3: man, you're telling me about it. <laughs> and yeah. plus me being in the military. Anything I can get for free, I love
1: Yeah, it's all good
3: it's all good. Uh we're <laughs> we're waiting for our first guest, uh
0: Pacific Northwest independent worker, Matt Farmer to call in. Uh Matt's a little delayed, so Okay. And in the second second hour we're going to have um AWA World Tag Team Champion in, and Florida independent worker, one half of the Heartbreakers, uh, Sean Evans, or Sean Evans, someone shoot me, Sean Davis.
1: <laughs> uh, hour.
0: Sean Evans, that guy was a jobber for WWF-TV forever, based out of Texas, but why the fuck am I thinking about Sean Evans?
1: Someone,
0: <laughs> someone help me. So I'm anyway, you said uh
2: I'm real interested to
3: see what he thinks, because I, I noticed he did he worked some in Georgia, so I'm wondering what he thinks about the new uh policies that the Georgia State Athletic Commission is coming down with.
0: Well, uh, we'll see if it'll happen.
3: I I was reading it today because uh I, I grazed over it and uh I actually sat today at work and that's an absolute joke. I mean the the fact that anybody would sit down and talk with how you can regulate a professional wrestling match. Now I'm not even talking about the, having the two uh the EMTs and the doctors in the back and you know, I mean, that thing is understandable, even though I think it's a little bit much for an independent pro wrestling show because the the budgets aren't there. But the fact that you would actually try to regulate a pro wrestling match is out of my belief. I can't believe it.
0: Well they're they're gonna actually try to regulate it like a shoot.
3: That's what I was you saying. Know. I mean like uh they're they, they want the referees to be a hand in the athletic commission to actually enforce the rules in the matches and you I mean, I understand. I think every professional wrestler should have gear. I, I don't like seeing guys out there without gear. But, I mean, right. making a rule that every guy has to have gear, I mean, that, that's overstepping your boundary. I mean, where do you draw the line, you know?
0: True. I guess I guess Raven won't be able to work in uh, Georgia anymore.
3: You <laughs> don't have to bust those old Scotty Flamingo tights if he can still wear them.
0: I don't think he could fit in them, but, you know. <laughs> he, and the, the funny thing is, he is... Still living in Atlanta.
3: Oh, he's still living in Atlanta.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> I guess he's not going to be working in his own state.
3: <laughs> well, he might want to relocate or whatever. I mean, yeah. I mean, for all those guys working in Georgia right now, I feel real sorry for him, And luckily, they got Barron's, who's a,
2: you know, a real known
3: figure out there, and then uh, he's standing up for him, And then even WWE came down. With WWE's gonna be exempt from the policy. Because I guess they gross over a certain amount of money, but even WWE's come out and spoken up against it, which is really good.
1: Now, that if they
0: implement that type of drug testing, it's just going to wipe out the indies. Uh, the random drug testing
3: part of it—you think, will wipe yeah. out the indies.
0: And, well, it's got to—it's got to be paid for.
3: The government's That's
0: not to it, so it's going to wipe out. I the never indies. thought
3: about that. Yeah, that was the one fear here because uh, recently the State Athletic Commission has been showing up for shows, and apparently there's this old uh, law about them collecting 5% of the gate, and uh, they just started enforcing it. So uh, a lot of the independent workers around here, a lot of independent promoters started getting worried about the Athletic Commission, what exactly they were doing because it's no secret, California, even though they've made some shady decisions lately, they're they're kind of the strictest uh, State Athletic Commission in the country right now. Mm -hmm. When it comes to MMA, kickboxing, and boxing, well, I
0: I think I may have uh, Mr. Farmer on the line. Uh, let me patch him in. Matthew, Hello. Good evening.
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: Hey, what's Rebel going on? Rebel Guard Radio. I'm sorry, what, what was uh, that? Welcome to Rebel Guard Radio. Oh, well, thanks. I appreciate you guys having me. Oh, not a problem. Not a problem. Um, I have my co-host on the line, Mr. Alex St. from San Diego. How hey, you doing?
3: Hey, what's going on, Mr. Palmer? Not much, man. Not much. Just enjoying the rain over here in the northwest.
1: <laughs>
0: well, I don't. I don't
3: mean to cut you off, and uh, I don't. I don't know where KZ was going, but me and KZ were just talking about state athletic commissions and wrestling. From what I understand, up there in uh, Oregon, I think it is. They, still, or is Washington? They still have a state athletic commission. So I was wondering yeah, what your thoughts on the state athletic commission up in Washington?
0: You know, I, I've actually battled the state athletic. Af- actually, Washington State has a licensing board, not a commission. A little different. We used to have a uh, we used to have a wrestling commission about 10 years ago. Um, they were overturned and they turned into a licensing board, which, in a lot of ways, is actually worse than having a commission because it's just ran by the Department of Licensing. Um, <clears throat> but we are one of the strictest in the country. Uh, you know, I heard you guys mention California. We're, we're the same as California, except you know, when it comes to MMA in this state, we are actually having a lot of outlaw shows uh, where they're unsanctioned. They're and they're calling. They're getting by this by calling them amateur fight. Amateur
3: fight. Oh wow! So yeah, uh, it, the licensing commission. So it's the same people that would like a hunting license would give you a professional wrestling license. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and so and what? Except, what, except, in, this, they, except they, in this case, they they
0: show up to the arenas and um, want to collect their tax and have you sign a sign your name.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and so what is the criteria for getting a license to wrestle license? Do they no, make you, uh yeah. what's the universal spot and you have to call spot them or uh, <laughs> well of course they they charge you money i, I
0: believe it's like fifty dollars, but once a year you have to go get your aids test your HIV you know your h i v test your hepatitis test, yes passive physical um all that good stuff um uh, and of course they regulate the shows they want to make sure there's guardrails. um in most cases, you have to have an ambulance at the arena, which I heard in Georgia, you know, is going to be a big issue with them.
1: Yeah. Um, and
0: and it's an issue here, too, because, you know, bef- when they made that law, they didn't realize that some cities don't allow you to rent ambulance, city ambulances um, in that city, you know, and, that, and that's something that they never thought of in the past.
3: So have uh, people brought up these concerns to the Athletic Commission, and do you know, know what they've, they've their responses have been, or...?
0: Well, uh, unfortunately, you know the, the athletic commissions—they—they they don't care. You know, they—they they really don't. Um, I know for a fact, Washington State's athletic commission has never made has never turned a profit except for the year that WrestleMania was here. Um, so, uh, you know, I really don't even understand the whole uh, the reasoning behind it as far as a
3: as far as the state's concerned. So, the the people that regulate wrestling obviously they have to pull in some kind of profit. That's why they ask for the. Fifty-dollar licensing fees and stuff like that, but I mean, what? I mean, if uh, let's just say I was running a a backyard show, for example,
2: and I wanted to get my guys
3: licensed, how would they would they be able to meet the criteria if they were able to pass a, a physical? Or I mean, what's the the screening process? I mean, do you have to write down who your trainer was? I mean, no,
0: definitely, and that that's the problem. You know, we have kids that wrestle that have as much training as or less than a backyarder, um, but as long as you're eighteen, over eighteen, you don't have a lot of you don't have crazy felonies or um AIDS, you can get a
3: license. See so down here in California, uh we, we uh we have a lot of I, I know a lot of workers that worked out in Mexico and actually my trainers have just made a couple trips to Mexico and there's actually a testing process to get a license. You actually in have to Mexico, get in the ring yeah. you actually have to get in the ring and you actually have to do stuff in the ring. And, I mean, while it's strict and stringent, I mean, I could, if if anyone was wanting to give me a license, I would want them to somehow prove that, I mean, if I was going to go through the process, I would want them to make me to be able to prove that I was a professional wrestler by the backyarder, because at that point, if you have no criteria, anybody can get a license.
0: Definitely. Well, you know, in Mexico, it's a little different because I, I work down there, too, and they're not really that strict as long as the promoter vouches for you and you if you're a gringo, they're going to say, yeah, you're okay. I, I, the first time I went down there, I worked out for a couple hours in the gymnasium there in Tijuana. And then they said, okay, you're, you know, you could work. Um, oh, wow. I didn't, that was a, I didn't have to get a license. I didn't have to get past no physicals or tests. Um, you know, I know California, for instance, they don't have a license. They don't have a commission when it's concerned for wrestling,
3: though. No, not yet. But uh there was a lot of discussion because uh the stand up uh, commission started showing up the shows and asking for five uh, percent of the gate or uh another value. I think it was either three or five hundred dollars depending on the, the size of the audience. But uh actually yeah. I actually have a funny story about Mexico. One of my trainers, uh he's a luchador and he went and wrestled in Mexico a law hair mat uh hair match and then he yeah. couldn't grow back his hair for five years. I <laughs> thought that was so so funny and well, so awesome. I mean how serious they are about it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I'm all for commissions as long as you have a representative from the wrestling side there. Um, the problem with the wrestling commissions is that they're usually based on boxing or MMA or martial arts. Uh, it's a totally different, you know, it's totally different. You know, when, I, when we were down in Portland and we actually got the uh, commission abolished in Portland, you know, they had some really antiquated uh, laws on the books, such as uh, a punch could actually land you in jail. Throwing a punch can land you in jail. Um, throwing somebody from the ring is an automatic disqualification.
3: You
1: know, you know,
0: these laws, was, like was Bill
3: Watts, on the board of the
1: state athletic commission, yeah, or was Yeah,
0: yeah, I think he was. You know, in, in Washington state, it's against the law to pile drive somebody.
1: Oh, you know, really? That's a, a forcible law. Memphis.
0: <laughs> well, it, it's on the record. It's on the record, It's on the law books as being such. Um, they they've never enforced it. You know? Um, well, it, I think the math is a like an, distraction. I yeah, it's a like in, or, Oregon, you couldn't, yeah, in Oregon, you couldn't have a gimmick where you were called a killer. That's why when Tim Brooks wrestled in Oregon, he was had he had to be called Mad Dog Tim Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. You know, I, I mean, some of the laws that the commissions have put in place are so ir- irrelevant. You know? And, and the problem with, uh Say the problem with the Washington State commission, for instance, and you know, we're, and we're, we really have one of the worst in the country. Um, it, it's not so much the commission; if they were fair about how they would regulate the commission, it wouldn't be a problem. But here's the thing: is Vince McMahon can come in here and he can really do anything he wants. You know, um, I got into a few arguments with some of the licensing, some of the commissioners uh, a few years ago, and they were uh, threatening Threatening to suspend me. Well, I just said, well, I'll continue to wrestle because at WrestleMania you had four guys on the show that were unlicensed. How come you're not finding them or suspending Vince McMahon? You know, when Vince McMahon's wrestling on his own show and he's not licensed,
3: he never got threatened.
1: <laughs> I you remember know?
3: there was that incident in Philadelphia where the state athletic commission just banned barbed wire from being used in matches, and then Vince yep. came and ran that No Way Out between JBL and Big Show. And the main event was the first-ever barbed wire cage in WWF history, yeah. I believe. Uh, that was actually Kentucky. <laughs> that was in Philadelphia. Was it? I I know they had the same issue in Kentucky a few years back as well. Oh, did they? Yes. Well, uh, enough about athletic commissions and such. Let's, let's get into your career, uh, Mr. Farmer. Okay. Well, where, where did you uh, train at?
0: Um, you know, to be honest with you, I really didn't receive a lot of formal training. I was trained... Mostly by a gentleman by the name of Tommy Justice who broke in, um, in up in Alaska for a few small promotions and he worked for Tom co up in Canada. Um, but most of my training, honestly, you know, and that, that, they did that a lot back in the early 90s. You would, you would come across a, a, a trainer or a wrestler and they would teach you a few basics, but you really had to learn your, your craft inside the ring wrestling other people.
3: So who would you say in the ring taught you the most?
0: Um, guys like Buddy Rose, Playboy Buddy Rose, Ed Moretti, uh, Moondog Ed Moretti. I learned a great deal, and, you know, he doesn't even know it, but Buddy Wayne, um, you know, Brian Alvarez's buddy. <laughs> um, you know, I, I learned a great deal from that guy, and, uh, you know, and I highly recommend him as a trainer. Um, uh, Ed Wiskowski, Colonel De Beers, uh Billy Jack Haynes, just, just a lot of the guys –
1: yeah,
0: and then, of course, my my former part, tag team partner Nikki Six, who's a uh, who's a pretty big star in the Independence you now in Chicago, him and I broke in together. And you know, we just kind of we were huge wrestling fans, so we just kept learning as we go. You
3: know. So did you go to shows and uh, and uh, ask the wrestlers the, hey, do you mind showing me some things? Or how exactly did you get in? Um, well, you know, really back then we didn't
0: have schools in Washington or in the Northwest for the most part. We just hung around shows. We would go, as soon as we got our driver's license, we were, you know, in our car every weekend going to shows. Um, you know, a lot of the old older wrestlers will always joke, and they used to say that they'd see me at every show. You know, they'd see us <laughs> at every show. I, I, and we're talking within a six-hour radius of where we lived, um, you know. And you just get to know the people, and they begin to trust you and, and know that they can count on you to be there. Then, you know, they'll use you. It's so easy for guys to get in nowadays. You know, I, I hear y- young guys bitching about driving two hours. Oh, well, we used to go do that just to watch the shows. You know,
1: <laughs> school
0: on a school night. You know, we would go on a school night. We'd get, I'd get in trouble. You know, for going out on a school night to go to Spokane, which is a five-hour
3: drive one way, just to watch a show. Oh wow, that, that's dedication right there. So what? Yeah. What? What? Uh, what year did you, did you break into the business? Um, we
0: broke in in 1993, so it's not that long. Well, it's actually 15 years ago, so it is a while back.
3: So I don't mean I don't mean to make you feel. Old. <laughs>
0: oh, it's actually 15. Uh, it's exactly 15 years yesterday.
3: Oh wow! Well, congratulations,
0: that, that I first broke in. Yep.
3: <laughs> so, uh, what are some of the promotions you you've worked for uh, recently?
0: Um, recently, this year I've I really haven't worked as much this year. Um, I did. I worked for a lot of local independents, and then I worked out in Hawaii for uh, Hawaiian Championship Wrestling. I also went down to L.A. for the uh, Noki's Dojo a couple times. I um,
3: did a was couple of military things. Is that when it was still being, is that when it was still, had a, uh... because now for what I understand that uh, Noki's pulled out, I don't know if you know anything about the situation. It's just the L.A. Dojo now. Were you uh, working uh, shows that, that was called the New Japan Anoki yeah, Dojo?
0: Yeah, it was the Inoki, uh, Inoki, Simon Inoki was running it, you know. And you know, he's a nice guy. It's just uh I guess they were having they 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 kind of turned into like a lucha libre promotion. So, you know, they still got some great guys down there. It's just ran by a different group of people.
2: And uh, um, who
3: who are the guys that uh you you worked when you were down and worked at the dojo?
0: You know, honestly, we worked guys that they imported from Hawaii because we were doing this little angle with uh two gentlemen by the name of Kaimana and Kaniala from Hawaii and they would fly in to work us. um it was uh some kind of a deal where they were trying to set up a set us up a deal in Japan that I think fell through because of Inoki's connections with whoever we were working through but they they were leading up to some kind of angle or something with us
3: Okay how how did you enjoy uh being flown out to Hawaii and working over there
0: Oh I love it I I try to get out there as often as we can um it's a great vacation. The promotion's awesome. They've got some good talent out there, and I, I hell, I mean it's a it's paradise, you know. It, it's just, and and the thing about Hawaii that's nice is being that they're kind of uh, uh, you know they're kind of closed off to the rest of the country. You you get over easier. Uh, you know you don't have you work differently when you're in areas like that. You know. Mm-hmm. Instead of um, wrestling in front, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but you know, like you go to the east to the East Coast and a lot of promotions, you wrestle in front of the the fans there. It's like you're wrestling in front of a, a, a instead of fans, you're wrestling in front of critics. You know,
3: so the crowds are a little different. Um, when uh, so you've worked on the East Coast, you've worked in uh, California, Washington.
2: Uh, what what are
3: some of your favorite places in, in Mexico? What are some of your favorite places to work, not only uh, from the talent standpoint, uh, who you're working with, but also the crowd? And uh... I, I love work in Mexico, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm not
0: super fond of the style necessarily, but I really love the crowds. Um, you, you know, you go to a small town in Mexico, and it's almost like you're, you, you're in a time warp. Uh as far as the crowd reactions and the way crowds treat you and things like that, it's just awesome. You know, I, I mean, there, there's no, no better feeling than, you know, having thousands of Mexican fans throw a cup of churros on you or, or, or whatever, you know, (laughs)
2: it's it's Uh,
3: just, just amazing. How was that transition going down there working on the right side? Because uh, us Americans, we generally, we, we, I mean, we, I've, I've not been taught any other way than the left side.
0: Well, uh... you know what a lot of a lot of Americans make the mistake of doing is they make the mistake of going down there and working the same as a luchador. Um, I, I've always felt that as an American, you need to work differently. Um, for instance, look at Art Barr, who got over better than almost any American in history down there. He didn't work lucha for the most part. If you watch his matches, he did a few lucha spots here or there, but he worked his style, and. Even Benoit, to a point, who got over pretty well, he, he did adapt a little more to the lucha style, but I thought in some ways it was a mistake because he got to become known as a luchador. I, I, I don't believe that. I don't think that's the way you should work as an American. I, I think you should stick to your style, incorporate a few of their spots, but you have to work... You, know, you, you don't want to change your style too much to, to adapt to them. I, I think that's what intrigues the fans about the way... The the gringos versus the, the the
3: the natives is that style clash. And uh, did did you ever figure out the the lucha libre style, or did you just say I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I do because I, I go to a lot of lucha libre shows in California and it it doesn't it's it, the whole match looks to me like a clusterfuck and they're just out there doing yeah. moves, but the the crowd is going insane and you know like if yeah. oh, I was a worker in there I'd be losing my mind because you would have no control over it, but I mean. The, yeah, the fans made
1: it up. <laughs> I, I have had
0: a chance to work out a lot with a lot of luchadors. Um, I worked out at the gymnasio in Tijuana. I also worked out with a couple of Mexican uh, luchadors up here, um, and um, yeah, so, I, so I, I learned the style. I learned a lot of the moves, and I would I would incorporate them. But you know, in in Mexico, the top stars they work with each other so often, and they spend a lot of time in the gyms together with each other that. You know, it, it does become a choreographed spot, spot fest almost, and I I, I don't care for that style so much. So I kind of I stick to my own style, you know. And to be honest with you, if you're if you're a main t- if you're a top guy, you're you, you're more of a brawling style than you are a a, a technical
3: style, you know. <laughs> oh, definitely. I've seen it plenty of times with psychosis and La Parker coming into work shows. Ray Mysterio senior, yeah, they do a lot of the brawling, a lot yeah, exactly, of the brawling yeah.
0: stuff. And I've worked a lot with those guys. You know, uh, some of my favorite matches were the Villanos. You know, those guys are oh, wow. awesome wrestlers. Awesome, but they can adapt, and so could I. You know, and so it, it makes for interesting matches.
2: Mm-hmm. And so, uh,
0: so you said you never, you never went to Japan? No, no i I've had I've had like three opportunities to, but each time. Something came up at the last moment, you know, you know how wrestling goes. You, you, you're ready to leave, and then it changes at the last moment.
3: <laughs> so uh, of all the Japanese promotions, I mean,
0: do you care, or what,
3: what promotion would you like to work the most?
0: Now I would, now if, if it was my choice now, I'd like to work for NOAA. Um, Ten years ago, I probably would say all, probably New Japan or All Japan. Um, right. Now, now I would love to get an opportunity to go over there just to see the country. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't really... Cared for what promotion it was, but I, I think it'd be a great opportunity just to get over
3: there and see the culture. Definitely, definitely. And then, hey, uh, KZ, you still on the line with us? Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm here, brother. I'm just listening. Okay, I mean, this, this is your show, brother. So, I mean, if
3: you got a question, pitch uh, in. Actually, I don't mean I don't mean I don't mean to steal it from you. No,
1: <laughs> no, nah, nah, you you are the co-host, brother.
0: Yeah, I thought he was sleeping over there. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Not yet. Maybe, maybe when Sean Davis comes on, but yeah. Well, uh, we'll, we'll see. Now, uh, now, KZ, you're li- you're down in San Diego, right? No, Alex is oh, okay. in San Diego. I'm outside San Francisco.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
0: I'm near uh, Ed Meredy, as a matter of fact. Oh, great, awesome. So awesome. I do have um, some questions for you. Uh, Go ahead. You say that you enjoyed working with Buddy Wayne. Yes. Has, is there anybody that you've ever worked with that is, that is as light as he is in the ring? Um, yes. Actually, as a matter of fact, Buddy Rose um, is just really as light. Uh, yeah, Ed Wiskowski is just as light. Um, believe it or not, Fitz Finley is light. He was to me at least. I, I've, heard, uh, I've heard different stories, but to me he was very light. Um, Arn Anderson was really light uh, I'm trying to remember
2: um, well, I but, think yeah, as far I,
0: as Finley's concerned If you're his friend Then he won't be light Well I, I I don't necessarily think that's true I think it's how you react to him You know because mm-hmm. a wrestler once they, As soon as they lock up they they uh, They know They know how the match is going to go They're going to know if it's going to be an easy match or a hard match And by that I mean it's easy by Things flow right You know what When I was breaking into the business, I'd hear a lot of the old-timers say that match was easy, and I was offended by that because I thought what they meant is that they didn't work hard, but it was just the opposite. They worked hard, but everything flowed smooth. Everything was smooth. There's a big difference between a great worker who's smooth and a great worker who's clumsy and stiff and hard to cooperate
3: with. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
3: My first so, um, four months in the business an easy matches. If I can just sit there and listen and uh, be told what to do, and the, the crowd still reacts, <laughs> that's an easy definitely, match and, and that's the truth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have to admit, um, Alex is being trained properly and he is working with the proper people. So he, Good. you know, he's learning properly, which you know is a plus for everybody in the business. Yeah. Let alone fans as well, you know. Um, yeah. Alex is being taught, you know, the old-school way, mm-hmm. you know, not, not go out there and kill your opponent. You know, you're supposed to be working together. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's time for a little shooting, Farmer. I need well, to know your it. honest honest opinions on Chico Alvarez. My honest opinions? Man, you know, I've known Brian a long time. I've known Brian before the newsletter, before he started the newsletter. Um Hell, I think I still have a copy of his first newsletter. He he's asked me to burn it, but I still think I've got a copy of it. Um, uh, you know, I I took Brian to his first wrestling show, uh, or not? I'm sorry, not his first wrestling show. The first show that he worked. Um, I, I like Brian. I was just, I just saw him Sunday. We watched the pay per view together, him and Vinny and Craig. Um, yeah, he's a nice guy. Really nice guy. Yeah. Um, he was um. He was put over rather well on the honky tonk man you the you shoot thing for kayfabe commentaries because uh, okay. one of the last questions was um, what are your, what are your feelings on uh, she writers and yeah. he he didn't have kind things to say about um, Meltzer or Keller and then it came yeah. to Alvarez and he said yeah Brian's my friend he's a good guy you know yeah I've I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about Brian well I have. I've heard I've had people say bad thing I've heard people say bad things about him. Um and I've heard stories where some wrestlers have and I've actually witnessed some wrestlers threaten them, um, but that that's that's part of the territory. You know, I, I remember when I used to read the newsletter and Brian was just breaking into wrestling. Um, I, I remember commenting on some of the things that he would say about some of the wrestlers, because, you know, you would, like, for instance, he would call Big Show the Big Slow, or <laughs> I, I, I don't remember all the names that they would call, you know, that he would call these guys. And I, you know, and me and, like, Nikki Six, we would always talk to him, and we'd say, hey, dude, you never know when you're going to run into one of these guys, you know? You don't know what's going to happen, you don't know if, you know, there's a lot, I mean, you could you could down, you could call a guy a name, for so long in a joking manner But then it becomes personal I, mm. I, I didn't care for that style of writing For the most part um, But you know I, I don't have anything negative I mean he's successful that's great I, I just think that I think looking back He might have did it a little differently As far as insulting certain people okay. You know Because now, with ha- him, right? now that he's been yeah. in the ring He realizes that there's There's more to it than just um, what you see on on the television, you know right now now you 've worked with him, haven 't you oh definitely oh i 've got a great chico story for you, and he 's going sure. he 's going to deny this and lie, but he knows it 's the truth he 's <laughs> listening he is the, listening, he is listening, oh he is listening. <laughs> good the the worst i i wouldn 't say the worst injury and hes fight he probably knows exactly where i 'm going on this one, but the stiffest move I've ever received in my life was from Brian Alvarez <laughs> the, the motherfucker we were up in um, oh, I think it was like Abbotsford or New Westminster or something like that British Columbia and he was going to do a swanton dive on me and he, he'll, he'll say that I positioned myself too far away from the turnbuckle but in fact he bodies slammed me so he actually put me in position well, he got. I think he he got on a turnbuckle 20 feet away from me and decided to swan on me, and he landed directly in my stomach. And was well, okay, he? Were you the guy that he drew the diagram for of where he wanted uh, you to lay for
3: the swan dive? I remember hearing a story like this. Um,
0: I don't know. I I didn't hear that story. That might be his uh, his side of the story, but <laughs> it, it felt like. And he was only like 130 pounds at the time. Um, but it felt like a 500-pound big show sitting on my chest.
1: It was so, it was so bad. It, it really was.
0: So, what, what do you think of uh, Brian in the ring as a worker? Oh, he's good. He's. Uh, I'm not going to put him over now. But uh, now that I know he's listening, I'm not going to put him over. But you
1: know, he's, he's good. solid.
0: He's solid. He's he's fucking stiff, though. Is he really? Oh yeah. No matter what he tells you, he's fucking stiff. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Any shoulders
1: Torelli stories?
0: Um, well, um, I never get credit for it because Brian usually gets credit for naming him, and he did name him Shoulders. But I actually get credit for calling for his name Vince Torelli because we used to all go work out together at uh, Tim Flowers' gym in Tacoma, and. Uh, I knew his first name was Vince, but I didn't know his last name and I couldn't pronounce it. So I called him Vince Torelli, which was Ken Shamrock's original wrestling name. And Brian didn't know this at the time, but I'd call him Vince Torelli. Well, then he adopted the name Shoulders Torelli. So I actually named him Vince Torelli. (laughs) Speaking of Tim Flowers, uh, what are your opinions on uh, Tim Flowers? Oh boy! You know, when I was breaking into wrestling, he was my favorite to watch. Um, he really was. Uh, I, I worked a lot with Tim. I stayed the night at his house. Uh, I, I don't. I don't want to say anything bad about him publicly at all. I, you, you know, know I, that... I, I, I didn't care for the way that he'd run his promotion, but he ran this promotion probably the same way that I would do it. In in hindsight, you know, we we had our
3: differences, but
0: man, I. I I can't say anything bad about the guy.
3: I've heard he has a, a liking of doing retirement matches. That's the that's one thing I have heard about him. He, he. Well, he did the he did do the one retirement match,
0: um, but then he he did come back, I believe, for one or two matches after that. So uh, he's not no different than anybody else. That's true too. No, Brian did. Alvarez did the same thing.
2: <laughs> for a lot of
0: money. <laughs> yeah. Ah, he's wrestled with a lot lot less money, too, since then. (laughs) I heard Brian's going to be wrestling uh, January 26th in Swahiland, Washington.
1: Oh, wow. I think he
0: might have broke a a story. Is it against Sweeney? I'm sorry? Is it against Larry Sweeney, the rubber match? No, 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 no. Oh, damn. Okay. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) The first two have been really good. I'm waiting for the third one. No, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen those yet, so... I heard that he had a good match with uh, in uh, Derby City. That's a um, buddy told me. Fifty-eight minutes. Yeah. It yeah. was it was good. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It was really season, good.
1: So. Yeah. But
0: I uh, I don't credit Chico. I I credit uh, Ted McNailer. So he does too. McNailer carried him. Yeah, exactly. So what's the other shoot you got for me? Uh, your feelings on Caden Caden Matthews. Oh, Caden. Um, I call him Caden McMahon because he always comes up with goofy ideas, like Caden, like Vince McMahon. Ah, um, oh, Caden's a good guy too. Uh, it's it's like one of those shoot interviews you watch where the guy has nothing bad to say about anybody else. But I, I like Caden. Um, you know, he's one of the guys. Him and Brian are two of the guys that I would actually use in my own promotion. You know, so. Why well, hasn't he moved to Derby City? Louisville. I'm sorry. Why hasn't he moved to Louisville yet? He's got all the potential in the world. He's he, he's great. He's got, but you know, he's also got a really good job, really secure job with the state. You know, and that's hard that's to true. give up. You know, mm-hmm. plus he's an old man. He's like forty. Are you serious? Ah, uh, he's close. I don't know. He's he's. I don't know how old he is, but he's old. He's older than he think, than you think. Really, he looks
3: 25, 26. Yeah, a lot
0: of plastic surgery. The, on the 8x10, I have <laughs> him and Buddy. He, he looks, you know, 26, yeah. 27, something like oh, that. He, I think he's in his early 30s, honestly. But, um, I you know, I, I really think it just has to do with his with his job. He's got a great job, so, you know. Yeah, oh, uh, WWE, when he did those shots for them, you know, mm-hmm. they, they liked what they saw. Yeah, definitely. You know. And definitely, yeah. You know, they told him go. Yeah, but he feels he's ready. You know. Yeah. And I, he, think, he did, I think he, he did have really a shot, shot down there. No.
1: But <clears throat> yeah,
0: no. Oh, a, a, a lot of times too. Personally, I mean, you have a love for the business, but at the same time, you you have to almost you 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 have to give up a lot to get to that point. You know. And if you're already comfortable in life, it's hard to give that up. You know, it really is. Um, I mean, it's hard to go to making fifty bucks and you know, for making you know seventy-five to a hundred thousand dollars a year to making fifty dollars a night. You know,
1: it's What's hard to that? do. That
0: <laughs> big slice of humble pie. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. It really is. And then you you know you also got to remember a year ago. Everybody realizes what you have to do to become a wrestler, you know, or to get noticed by WWE. A lot of times people aren't willing to make those sacrifices, you know. Um, and and we, we all know what I'm talking about. It's just, you know, do you want to do that to your body? Do you want to put yourself in that kind of position to get noticed? Because unless you're 6'5", you know, and 265 pounds, you've got to be extremely lucky to get a
2: spot.
3: That was what was unfortunate about the the post Benoit tragedy is that uh, you saw the guy shrinking on TV, and then you know it, I, I had a hope in my heart that maybe you know more athletic because if you watch MMA, a lot of the guys uh, don't look like physical specimens, but I mean a lot of these guys are, are beasts like uh, uh, like a uh, Josh Barnett for example who you're familiar yes. with, uh, Josh Barnett is a powerhouse. But I mean he, <laughs> I remember when uh he got busted for steroids, you know, he was like, look at me, do I look like someone on steroids, but I
2: was hoping wrestling
3: would, I'm sorry, I I was just saying that uh, I was hoping wrestling was going to move more toward that direction, the guys who, you know, are in shape, and it's clear they're in shape, but they're not, you know, muscular specimens.
0: Yeah, you know, like, like Tim Sylvia, who was, you know, when he was UFC champion, he got busted. And when they asked him why he did steroids, he said, "Well, I have to make a lot of public appearances, and I know how people's perceptions are. You know, unfortunately, that's that's the honest truth." Josh Barnett's built a I'm built a lot like Josh Barnett. Um, we had the same kind of physiques. He could do he could do all the steroids in the world, but he was never going to look like Lex Luger. You know, um, and like even Dave Meltzer's, you know. Mentioned that before on on in his newsletter and in different programs and things like that. Josh Barnett loves wrestling, and he's a great athlete. But in America, in in WWE, he probably wouldn't get a second look because of the way he looks, you know, because of his physique, you know. And that, that is unfortunate. And it's is, a lot it's, of the a lot of the fans' perceptions too,
3: you know. Well, I think, I think Vince Man. I mean, I, I think it's pretty safe to say Vince McMahon's one of the Smartest people in wrestling has ever been, and if anybody yeah. could reeducate the audience the way a wrestler can look, I think it would be a Vince McMahon. You know? Yeah, but look he, at him.
0: He can do it,
3: but I don't think he wants to do it because
0: he gets off on that on the bodybuilders. You know, he gets off on that size. You know, I mean, he in his mind that's what he when he thinks is a tough guy. That's what he thinks. Walk into a gym where a bodybuilder's at, and you ask them who's tough, or you you talk to the bodybuilders about. Um, about people, and they have that same perception. They think the bodybuilders are tough, you know.
3: And really, until MMA started coming around, because I mean, I, I've watched wrestling since you know since I can remember, and then until I started getting into MMA, I mean, that was always my belief. because that's what I've seen on TV. The bigger guys always up on the little guys, but then you start watching MMA, and then you know the bigger guy isn't a definite lot to always win. You know, a lot of times no. the, the smaller guy is a lot more talented because the bigger exactly. guys can usually get along off off of their strength and little guy usually works on their technique and usually wins yeah, and, and
0: strength is and you know strength isn't even something that you can measure in somebody's body size or, or or their physique either as far as wrestling strength goes or fighting strength goes there's a big difference you know
1: <laughs>
0: a r- real big difference i mean you, you take a guy that looks average like fedor emilenko you know emilenko He's an average-looking guy. He looks like a farm boy, you know? Not an overly-sized guy, but
3: a lot of people consider him one of the baddest men on the planet, you know?
2: Well, Rick Flair, I mean,
3: he, was, his, uh, he built his reputation off going an hour with a lot of guys. And, I mean, Flair never yeah. had a, a great body. But, I mean, Flair no. in the ring, I mean, there's, there's none
0: better, you know? Exactly, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, any vicious Vern Siebert stories? You know, unfortunately, I really don't know Vern too well. I've worked some shows with him, um, and I do I do talk to him f- not frequently, but off and on, you know. But I, I don't know him really well. Um, you know, we we have, to have sat down and talked, and we went to a couple of reunions and things like that together. But I, I don't know him personally, so I don't I don't have any sort of stories for him really. Yeah, Vern's Vern's a good guy. Um, yeah. Billy. Really nice guy he's just he one has of those guys in the tape library, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does it, you know if, if he's you know he's one of those guys where if he's in if he's in Vancouver I'm in New Westminster, you know, or if he's in Langley, I'm in cloverdale, so he, he was always one of those guys that you always you work you're working in the same area for so long, but you're always working in the opposite place that that guy's working you know so it's one of those so, situations. <clears throat> have you worked for a... Pinnacle Pro? I'm sorry. Have you worked for Pinnacle Pro? Yes, I have. What yep, are your feelings I've on worked... that company? Um, well, they're out of business. Um, you know, and I really can't say that I'm sorry that they're out of business. I, I really, you know, one of the the, the founders of the company who wrestles under, under the name Havoc, I, I really enjoy, I, I really like him. Went to high school together with him and everything. Um, But the guy that was running Pinnacle, as a promoter, I I don't think he should have been a promoter, you know. Um, It's not a personal attack. It's just as a wrestling product, I'm not a fan of what he was presenting, you know. Um, They got a lot of publicity that their shows were great, but in hindsight, they weren't really all that good. They were a bunch of young kids trying hard, which is good, but the shows weren't that great. They were booked horribly, and for the most part, the matches were cluster fucks. You know, it, it, I guess it would be like um, it, I'm kind of like my the way that I I have similar thoughts on wrestling is like Jim Cornette, for instance, where he might not necessarily care for the way TNA runs their shows, you know. But there's certain fans of the there's certain fans that like those kind of shows ran. I just don't particularly care for that. You know Just my personal uh, feelings on it Alex You have
2: the
3: office
0: Oh okay And so
3: uh, Oh wow You always catch me when I'm just listening And then you catch me And you ask me to ask a question and I'm just listening <laughs> So my mind is empty
0: <laughs> Okay Alright Matt What yep. would it take for the Suicide Kings To come down to San Diego To work a shot um, book us. get somebody to book us, we'll do it.
1: Alex. <laughs>
0: yeah. In we'll do it. Case he throws me out on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of well, give I, us a I, lot of money and we'll come down there.
3: Um
0: I, I tend I tend to get my guests booked, so yeah. it it's kind of strange. I, I don't We'll, know well, we'll do that. Works. Um we'll, we'll we'll do a show down there. Um my tag partner and I we like to do shows where we could where we could party after the shows. Um and I think that's why we like going to Hawaii or LA for instance because we could go out and have a good time. But I I'd love to go back down to San Diego. Well there you go. We can uh yeah. we can book the Suicide Kings and Anchors Away. How does that sound Alex? <laughs>
1: That'd be a good match.
0: Yeah. I think it would be too Definitely, definitely I'd love to get down there. Well. I'd like to get I'd like to get down to San Francisco too.
3: Yeah, there you go, KZ. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're still waiting actually, for KZ to it's open it's up his wrestling promotion. But there no, you go. Sorry. There you go. Like Modest I Championship know. Wrestling. <laughs> there you yeah. go.
0: Well, I did. I did learn from Roland Alexander how to run a promotion. <laughs> that. well, well, that's good. Well, you know, actually, Kane. Ma- since you brought up Caden Matthews and Brian Alvarez, um, uh, we do actually we are promoting a show January twenty sixth in Tulalip, Washington, um, which is just north of Everett. Um and both Caden and Brian Alvarez and Buddy Lean are actually gonna be on the show, so um but, should should be interesting. It's actually gonna be Caden Matthews and Brian Alvarez versus the Suicide Kings. Caden's oh, really? running uh
3: how many shows yeah, does Caden ran? Will this be a second one or
0: um second or third I, I think. I don't know. I, I don't know how many shows he's ran or I, I know that he's never promoted shows himself. He's just helped out. Oh so. okay. are they gonna are they gonna use Buddy's ring and no, no, no. Um, Buddy is going to be a part of the show, though. So, definitely a part of the show. But we we've okay. got a we've got our own ring to use. So, it'll be good. Will uh, so, uh, uh, Richie Magnet work? You know, we he's not booked on the first show, but we've got um, we're going to be doing monthly shows, and so we're going to be you know because we're going to try to do a little old school booking where we introduce guys as we go. We don't want to. Mm-hmm. We don't wanna um you know blow the load on the first show,
3: right How are the Washington fans to work in front of i mean uh i, I know about the East Coast fans and the west coast fans, but uh how, how are the how are the Pacific Northwest fans to work in front of? are are they real smart or are they critical or how
0: not for the most part it depends on you know like for, for instance Pinnacle shows where they are running in the same building um month in and month out. And a lot of the fans were actually friends of the workers, you know, and that's why they were mostly successful, because most of the fans were friends or buddies of the workers, you know, because they had a lot of new students. Well, those fans became smarter and smarter and smarter as the months went by, or, you know, I put smart in parentheses,
1: Mm. and
0: they would start critiquing the matches or becoming unfavorable to the matches as time went on, because their expectations grew and they became smarter as fans, and they... You know, they would scream that you fucked up, Chance, or whatever. Um, myself, personally, give me a high school or a not just because of the chicks there, but <laughs> give me a high school with with friends and you know with just young kid, you know, young kids or the moms and pops and grandpas and grandmas. Um, give me those kind of shows, and I'll work those the rest of my life. <laughs> I'd much rather work. Th- I'd much rather work those type of shows than a show. Um, where the, the fans are more critics than they are fans, you know. So, and I, yeah, I think we all do that now because we're because wrestling's so so exposed. We, we have become we become too much critics instead of fans, you know. So you think they're thinking of uh, running monthly, mm-hmm. and later on in the year, my co-host Alex wants to go up for a couple weeks and train with Buddy Wayne. So well, what are the if he's up of here, we'll, we'll, we'll on there? Yeah, if he's up in the area, we'll we'll use him.
1: There you go. <laughs> as long, as, long as he's got gear. As long as you got boots, buddy, Alex. we'll use you. Fifteen percent. <laughs> What's that? Fifteen
0: percent. That's my booking fee. Okay, fifteen percent. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, just make sure he's got boots, and we'll we'll use you. I, you know, I'm a big stickler on that too. Uh, you know, I don't I don't mind gimmicks, but I think. Uh, if everybody on the show is wearing jean shorts and tennis shoes, it doesn't look good.
1: If I were <laughs> to do
0: that, I would go down to San Diego personally and kick his ass. So, he's, he's, and he's, I, and really I know if you're going to work a show and you know, and Buddy gives you the okay to do it, you're going to have the gear anyway. So,
3: I Actually, I bought my first pair of wrestling boots, and my trainers told me to wear them before the show to break them in. And then yeah. I was with a guy, I was with a guy, I was working, I was like, hey, do you want to talk about the match? And he was like, well, hey, I got to go grab something to eat. So we began to walk about a mile both ways in my new wrestling boots, and I never wanted to wear wrestling boots again. <laughs> I, I wear them, but I never wanted to after that experience. Did you Did you buy your boots from high spots? No, I did not. Uh, there's actually a... There's actually a fellow in Los Angeles that made my boots. I mean, they're really good boots. They're really good boots. They're, these boots are made for walking, I can tell you that.
0: Yeah. No, I, I've, I, had, a pair of, I had to buy a pair of boots from High Spots because it, I, I had some, some stuff stolen out of my car, and my boots just happened to be in the box that was stolen out of my car. So uh, I had to buy some boots really quickly, and I bought them from High Spots. And, man, those things are no good.
3: Uh, that's that's the reputation that high spots has is for putting out crappy gear. And then I've heard about a couple of rings breaking. And I mean, high spots, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much business they make off of that, but I mean, if the DVD business doesn't supplement them enough, oh, I mean, hmm. they might want to get out of the gear business.
0: <laughs> All right, Alex, uh, we lost Mr. Farmer.
3: Oh no, it was a good show too.
0: Well, hopefully he'll call back in. He, he still has about eight minutes left on this segment. Oh. So. Okay. wow, that was a pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting guest this time, wasn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. I was I was a little worried because
3: I, I must be honest, I'm not familiar with Mr. Farmer, but uh, yeah, it was awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, but hey, yeah, you know what though? I slipped that in to get you booked while you're up there, brother. I
3: was
1: thinking
0: of you. <laughs> That's man. good.
3: That's good. You did the reverse shield, man. You know that I'm just a trainee, and you're always asking people if they want to work New Wave to contact me and tell them no. You got to contact. Uh, you got to contact anchors away. They're the they're the Booker men.
0: That's right. But you, you know we, we we better hope that uh, Matt Farmer wasn't listening to. Oh, sorry, Matt. Matt Matt's on the line. Sorry um, about that, Matt. <clears throat> Welcome back. Is he there? Matt? Uh, should be. I got him on the line. Yeah, All I right, can hear him real
3: faintly. Oh,
1: right, Red. Okay. He's
0: probably got a bad signal here. Because I, I can hear you pretty good. Now I'm going to unmute him. Matt, are you back? Oh. Okay, Matt, I'm going to drop you and call back in. I think you got a bad cell signal. <clears throat> okay, yeah, so I, I hung up on Matt. It's what I do here. I hang up on my guests.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: At least I don't hang up on you, but.
3: Yeah, well, I usually <laughs> hang up on you, but. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh,
0: Oh, yeah,
3: so
0: was, brother by, by the way, my wife is baking your cookies tomorrow. they'll be They'll be sent on Friday.
3: Awesome, awesome.
0: Like I was saying earlier, I'm
3: in the military and I'm an independent professional wrestler, so uh I love free stuff. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, let's
0: try to patch Matt in again here. Are you on, Matt? All right, can you hear me? Got gotcha, you, brother. All right, all right, great. All right. You must have hit a dead spot in your living room. Uh, no, I'm actually, uh, I got full bars. It's just uh, your guys' system kicked me off, and I heard there was a recording came over that said the system was down or something. So. Oh, wow. You're yeah. such a good yeah. guest that uh, you afraid the wires. <laughs> yeah, there, you there go. we go. Might be a busy night for a blog talk. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, hopefully. That'd <laughs> be nice. That'd be nice. But, um, Alex, you need to get off the phone and make a phone call.
3: Okay, good to go. I'll be with you in a minute. All right, cool. Great. Do you guys have another guest coming on?
0: Yeah. Uh, All right. AWA World Tag Team Champion, one half of the Heartbreakers, Sean Davis from Florida. Okay, great. Well, I could uh, yeah. wrap you guys up when I get or I could wrap up when he gets on. So, Cool. Well, I'm going to give you the office. I want you to right. plug anything you need to be plugged. Wow. Well, you know, at the moment, um, let's see, Saturday night I'm going to be in Portland, Oregon, wrestling for N.A.W.A. Uh, a week from Saturday, I'm going to be back in the same building for N.A.W.A., and I'm going to be wrestling Matt Bourne.
1: Wow. wow. That's cool.
0: But, yeah, wow. I, I actually, I think I'm down there in the same building three weekends in a row. Um, wow. January 26th in Toilet, Washington, um, we're going to be doing a show. Kane Matthews is going to be up there with teaming up with Brian Alvarez. Um, Buddy Wayne's going to be on the show as well. Suicide Kings will be there. Um, should be a great night. Um, besides that, that's about all I got to plug. And your MySpace is, oh shit, uh, I'm not. It's just the Suicide MySpace slash uh, Suicide Kings '99, I believe.
1: I have to agree with you.
0: Yep. That sounds good to me. Yeah, come check us out. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all. Do you, you have merchandise available on your site don't you I'm sorry what's that do you have any merchandise available on your myspace I uh, no not right at the moment we've got a few DVDs and things like that um, we just we've been really lacking on as far as selling gimmicks and things like that we've we've been getting pestered a lot to get some stuff out there we just have we've been dragging our feet doing so um, we're gonna that's one of the things we're working on right now actually so um, cool. I, I hope to we hope to get a line of stuff out this this, uh, within the first quarter of this year. Okay. Um, when, in a little over an hour, I'm going to give you a call because I have a guy that makes and designs T-shirts. Okay, great. So I'm going to give you a buzz and, and maybe we can hook something up there. Awesome. So, That'd um, be perfect. You know, he, um, he designs uh, shirts for ROH. He designed the latest Adam Pierce T-shirt. Okay. So, and he might actually be able to uh, help you distribute, too. Awesome. That'd so, be perfect. See, we, may, we make you money here on Guard. We get you booked. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Make us money, get us booked. That's awesome. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the air. It was definitely a pleasure, and we will have to have you on again. Well, thank um, you. I appreciate the time. Next time, we need your tag team partner with you. Okay, we'll do. We'll do. And and also, while I'm looking at your MySpace, it, sees, it shows a picture of you guys with... Uh, a future Rubber Guard radio guest, Diamond Dallas Page. That's okay. pretty cool. What do you think of YRG? Oh man, it's it's awesome. I highly recommend it. I really do. Um boy, uh we went down to uh, when we were down in LA working for Anoki one time, we went to uh the studio where he was doing the the show. And it, it kicks your ass. It really does. It's it's a great workout. Um you know, it it really is a phenomenal workout. It, it just uh You know, guys aren't used to doing yoga for the most part, but I I highly recommend the workout. I have to agree. I have to agree. But um, once again, Matt, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. You guys um, have a good night and uh, have a good holiday. Oh, you too, brother, and be safe this weekend. Okay, thank you, man. Take care. Take care, brother. Bye. All right. Well, that was Pacific Northwest Independent Pro Wrestler. Matt Farmer, that was definitely an interesting interview. And now I have on the line AWA World Tag Team Champion, heartbreaker, Sean Davis. Welcome to Rubber Guard. How you doing, brother? Hello? Is he still there? Sean, are you on? Can you hear me? I can hear you, Alex. I can't hear Sean. Okay. Well, what we're going to do is I'm going to hang you up. I'm going to play a little drop here. uh, Okay. Do that one more time. All right. Um, Hello? Sean Davis. Yes, sir. Welcome to Rubber Guard Radio. Hey, man. It's a pleasure to be here. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. How are you guys all doing tonight? Oh, not bad. Not bad. You sound a little beat, man. Uh, Rough weekend? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> black
0: market kicking your ass too hard or they they, they knock oh, out of you or what <laughs> no man uh, just one of those days one of those days all oh. live augers, we get going trust me <laughs> uh, don't, don't, don't get me started Alex has heard heard my shit all day man it's been a hellacious <laughs> day getting this show together and uh, <laughs> you Mr. Davis have saved my ass and I appreciate it and I thank you oh man no problem at all brother I'm glad to be here so how's the weather out there in Florida? Ah, uh, it's a little cool tonight. It's a little cool tonight. It's about uh it's about sixty five. Oh, so I'm not I'm not complaining. It's fifty out here in San Francisco and it's ugly rain and oh, <laughs> man. I would I don't even know what it in is in San crazy. Diego, but it's horrible. <laughs> Jeez. Well we're, what we're gonna do is we're gonna start off with the San Francisco Cow Palace, crap. Uh-oh. Okay. Alex, you got the office. You were there. I chose not to go, but Alex flew up from San Diego. So right. I'm going to leave you two boys to discuss this one. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, uh, so you get to San Francisco. The, the,
3: what, what exactly brought you to uh, – because you're based out of Florida, so what brought you to San Francisco to do the Cow Palace and the arranged the AWA show?
0: Yeah, the AWA asked us to come out. Uh, Dale Gagne asked us to come out after we uh, won the AWA tag titles in a tournament in Wisconsin a couple weeks earlier, and uh, he wanted us to come out and represent the AWA. And um, we said yes, of course, not knowing what we we're getting ourselves into. <laughs> now,
3: so this was totally set up by the AWA. So, did you have any? Uh, was there any interaction with the uh, the promoters of the fan fest?
0: Uh, well, I've been in touch with Chris a little bit, you know, uh, the infamous Chris, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, he talked with, uh, I talked with him a couple times, and um, originally we were just going to come up and do the um, the AWA show on the Sunday, but we told him we were flying in early, so he said we were going to be on the quote-unquote pay-per-view on Friday night as well, and uh, which, you know, of course, we were stoked about, and um, so, you know, we came up early, and... Um, you know, get to the airport, and right away, there was nobody there to pick us up as we're supposed to be. And um, we ended up taking a cab to the Cow Palace, which cost us about 35 bucks, which we weren't thrilled about. And Where did the they fly you Dallas, into?
1: Um,
0: they threw us into the San Francisco airport. Oh, okay. Well, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, At least it wasn't Sacramento or San Jose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, we were we you know, we were instructed to go straight to the cow house when we got there. We were told that's where all the wrestlers would be. And we got there and we were the only ones there, which wasn't a good sign. And, <laughs> they were on the bar. <laughs> yeah, well exactly. We were promptly told we were supposed to be at the Sheraton, you know, and we're like, Well, I got the paper right here in front of me with the last email I got from the promoter telling us to be at the building, but um so that was the sign of things to come, but um,
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> bad. And so, uh, what happened with the, the talent situation? Because uh, one of my trainers, Ryan Stone, was able to get out there and he uh, worked the opening six man in the AWA show. So, what what was the talent promises? I mean, who who was expected to work these shows and <laughs> boy, <laughs> well, <laughs> honestly, AWA it was such show.
1: A the
0: AWA show itself? Yeah. Well, um, that was just a cluster, man, from the whole, from the, the word go. I mean, um, there were all kinds of problems internally at the, with the AWA, and we had some promoters fighting with each other, and the main promoter that was supposed to send most of the talent ended up um, getting into a huge fight with uh, Mr. Ganya that had all to do with us getting the tag titles and not her boys getting the tag titles, and... It was just a bunch of stupid political crap going on. There was a bunch of um, you know fifth grade, junior high school type stuff going on with the promoters, and it was basically, oh, you're sending the Heartbreak Express as the tag team champions. They're getting the belts. Well, guess what? We're we're taking we're keeping all our talent home, man.
2: Was Carino brought out
3: there just to work the show, or how much uh, help did he did he do with the AWA show? How involved is he with the AWA?
0: Well, he was very involved with the AWA at one point, but um, he's not as much now um, as he's kind of winding down. Well, I guess he's winding down his um, his career as as Steve Carino, anyways. Um, but um, he, um, you know, he was he was out there to do the pay per view. He was never officially booked to be on the AWA show, but um, he was more than willing to do the AWA event. Uh, but then there was just there was just so much miscommunication. You know, I basically went from being booked as, as just a talent on on the show to having the whole thing thrown on my lap as the booker of the event, and, and they gave me everything once I got out there. And um, <laughs> and um, you know, thank God for um, um, Roland Alexander's crew and from um, Dave Marquez, they all helped me out a lot. I went to them and I was like, "Look, guys, I don't know anybody out here in California." and my entire crew's not showing up, and I've got me and my tag team partner and nobody else booked for a three-hour show on Sunday.
1: <laughs> and uh,
0: they were all gracious enough to help me out with filling up the card, you know.
3: Speaking of uh, talent to work shows, um, the Battle Royal comes to mind, and uh, the right. Battle Royal winner, Shannon, the Cannon, Rich. Um, I've, I've been training for about four months, and i got two matches under me, but that looks vicious in there uh, working with
0: Shannon oh my god dude he had no idea what to do at all you know we went over um, they once again they were throwing things on my lap which I mean you know I take that as a compliment don't get me wrong you know when, when things are going to crap and you know people turn things over to you I obviously they have some sort of faith in you which is cool but um, they turned it over to me to help kind of book the end of that battle royal. But they told me that guy had to go over. He had to be the star of it. He had to, you know, shine on everybody for the last five minutes. And he just didn't have a clue, man. And what, what was really bad is when I was trying to set up the spots and everything for that battle royal when we were trying to put the match together, every time we, I would get the guys together, that guy would disappear. He'd be off – Drinking beer, getting a sandwich, getting a piece of pizza. <laughs> I mean,
1: I swear to God,
0: dude, the guy was anywhere was anywhere and everywhere but where he was supposed to be where we were talking over the match. He just didn't seem to give a crap one way or the other. It was like he knew he was winning and that was all there was. That's all he cared about. He didn't care that he didn't know what he was doing. And um it was oh my gosh, it was just uh it was a mess, you know. I, mean? I actually had a
3: I had a run-in with Shannon Rich, and uh, he had a championship belt there. And then uh, my trainer walked over to, to him and told him, hey, uh, we use that same belt as uh, our championship, our uh, heavyweight championship for our promotion. And then uh,
2: Shannon Rich quickly
3: informed him that uh, he actually earned his belt. So uh, okay. Ooh. <laughs> wow. So uh, oh, you, uh, you worked at Battle I'm Royal. Uh, that, did you have any, I don't remember, did you have any interactions? With uh, Chavo Guerrero,
0: or oh yeah, we actually we actually spent most of the match um, trading back and forth with Chavo. In fact, I think I still have the marks on my chest from the stops and
1: stuff, <laughs>
0: and um, I still have the chip tooth from the punch to the mouth as well. But um, that's another story. And I also have nightmares from the uh, nightmares from the dressing room situation. As, uh well, I don't even know if I want to get into that on the air, but uh, <laughs> why not? We, we we've heard pretty much everything that had to go down in that that weekend. So yeah, there was a lot of cra- it was a lot of craziness going on. But uh, Shavo's a great guy, man. He's a, he's a little bit of a nut job, but he's a great guy. You know, <laughs> you know, it's so funny because down here in Florida, we hang out with his brother Hector a lot. You know, we've a lot of shows with him, and I've been to the uh, the Caribbean islands a couple times with Hector doing doing shows and um he's just an absolute nut too he's totally off the wall and um and shovel's exactly the exact same way man it's crazy
3: did did you have any inter- interactions
1: uh,
0: uh maybe
3: this time or in the past with a uh, wrestling superstar virgil
1: with virgil
0: sure
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean i don't have any good stories about virgil it's oh really man funny. i do He's always been cool with us. I mean, I don't know what it is. He seems to take a liking to my, my tag team partner, Phil, and they always seemed to, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's take a liking. I don't know how you take that, how you want to take it, but uh, I
1: don't
0: know. He <laughs> always seemed to be hanging out wherever Phil was. So I don't really, I don't know. In this business, you never can tell what that means, but, uh.
3: <laughs> and then on the the Sunday night AWA show, you worked uh, Bad Blood and LCP and, uh, I was wondering some of your thoughts, if you have any on LTP as a worker or anything like that. Because I know it was, it was only one show, but...
0: Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh boy. Um. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. You think he's listening to
3: this right now? Well, uh, he I will.
0: <laughs> He will. <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, I you know I I don't know, man. The, the, those guys is he the? Was, I, I'm sorry to sound ignorant here. Was he the, the taller guy or the shorter guy? He he was
3: the shorter guy. The taller oh, guy no. is
0: bad okay. blood. Okay, no, no, the shorter guy. Yeah, no, no, he was cool as anything, man. He was cool. He um he was very very cooperative, very cool, very friendly.
2: Yep. He just uh,
3: went before that match. He had just come back from a tour of zero uh, one. Um, he trained. Okay. He, he uh, trains up here at the uh, the Noki Dojo, LA Dojo, and yeah, then. Uh, man,
0: he was great. He was
3: great. Yeah.
0: Now, do you, now, now that we've gone down this
3: road, do you have any stories about the the taller guy in the match, Bad Blood? <laughs> well,
0: um, <laughs> you know, he he. Um, oh boy. Um, well, you know, I, you know, I'm not much for political correctness. So I'll just be open with it. The guy's a jerk. So, I mean, I'm just gonna be you know straight there with you, <laughs> I
3: can, I can, uh... I mean, you
0: didn't want to cooperate or um you know the first all right you know the first thing he tells me remember, I'm booking the show, you know, which really was nothing to be proud of, but i had to, I'm the one that had the big headache here, you
1: know, and I'm
0: trying to put the matches together, and this guy comes up to me and says, "I don't really know if we want to work with you because I don't think you can keep up with us." Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you know, way to make a great first impression on the guy booking the show, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, um, and, you know, but that was before he knew I was the booker, and then things kind of changed from there. They didn't get worse, but they didn't necessarily get that much better either, but, um, you know,
1: things just kind of
0: um, – I found out he had kind of a reputation among the boys. I mean, I found that out during the before the battle royal, where guys were going around, um, basically offering money to different people that would uh, stiff him in the match. So, <laughs> then, oh wow, yeah. So I, you know, I, you know, I don't know. Sorry, buddy, if you're out there listening to this, but uh, you know, he will. I got nothing personal against you, but uh, you know, maybe you need to calm down on the attitude a little bit.
3: So, uh, do you have any stories? Uh, I know it was probably a real hectic weekend from you, but were
0: you able to uh, to enjoy any of the fan fest? I mean, oh man, we had a. I got to tell you, man, we had a great time. We had such a blast, you know. Um, you know, me and Phil, man, we always have a good time, pretty much. You know, whenever we do anything, but um, you know, we we had a great time, man. We had never been to San Francisco before, and you know, we're huge, huge old school wrestling fans. So just being able to go to the Cow Palace. You know, the home of, you know, Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson and Roddy Piper, you know. I mean, it was just awesome to be, you know, in that building and to be sitting in the locker room where, you know, Jimmy Snuka and Playboy Buddy Rose and all these guys, uh, you know, once were when they were in their prime. And, you know, we, we just had a blast being there, man. It was um it was a big mark out moment for us just being there. I got to tell you. I mean, to be honest with you, we took yeah. pictures almost every corner of that building. You know, <laughs> <laughs> with us in it. You know, was there any workers that uh, you marked out for that weekend? Or I mean, you know, I you know, I got I mean, I, I've met so many guys now over the last several years. I've, I've met pretty much almost all my childhood idols, and I've, I've had the pleasure of working with most of them. So there's a lot of guys that you know. For the most part, I've already met most of everybody that was there, to be honest with you. But it's always cool. Anytime you get around any of the legends, man, it's always cool, you know. And, um, you know, just getting to hang out with Carino. Carino's a buddy of ours, and um, he's always a blast to hang out with. Well, yeah, I will give you a mark-out moment, though. i got to admit, was, um, um, meeting the great Muda was, was pretty cool. You know, I'd never met him before. And uh, you know, Phil and I, man, I got you know hey man we we got our pictures taken with them. we didn't care what anybody thought, you know, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't pay for' them, you know, but I mean, <laughs> but you know we we took out our we took out our camera, and you know got a couple got a couple of couple of shots of great muda and his costume, you know, and um also with Ultimo dragon who's cool as anything too, and um you know we, we we had a we we had a heck of a good time, and everybody was cool you know um I actually met uh it was the first time I'd met Barry darso as well, and um you know we're pretty good friends with um bill Eady, demolition Axe, so it was uh, pretty cool meeting Barry darso for the first time, especially because um uh, we got a series of matches scheduled against them for um u x w in Orlando
3: coming up so oh wow, yeah, yeah. speaking of markout yeah. moments um yeah. A, lot, a lot of people who know me know this, that uh, I, I'm pretty good about not generally marking out for people because I, I've met a, a lot of people, but the one person right. I didn't mark out for was uh, a worker you may be familiar with from FIP, and that's Larry, Sweeney Sweeney.
0: Uh, oh, man, I love Larry, man. Uh, He's a great guy, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He is you, a great uh, guy. To be honest, Sean, you are replacing yes. him this evening. What's that, sir? You are replacing him this evening.
1: Oh, I am. Mr. Okay, all
0: right. Mr. Sweeney had uh, personal issues come up, and, and he had to reschedule. Hence the okay. hurry up and uh, contact you on MySpace gimmick. I gotcha. But, I gotcha. Yeah. What are you Yeah, feelings he's, on he's one of my
3: favorites, man. So uh, Actually, enough about the fan I fest. Sure. I say that's been beat to death. Um, can you tell us about how you broke into the business?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I was just, you know, I was a fan of wrestling my whole life, you know, I probably started watching when I was about seven years old, and, um, you know, I was just always a, just a huge wrestling fan, you know, I grew up, um, I was a big world-class fan and Crockett, and, um, you know, of course, I grew up in the Northeast, so the WWF was the big, um... You know, live event to come to town. To come to town, but it was always a little bit cooler to talk about the Freebirds and the Von Erickson and Hulk Hogan at the time. You know, and um, you know, I just I loved it, man. And you know, I always wanted to break into wrestling. And when I moved here to Florida when I was nineteen, um, just by chance I ran into an um, old wrestler by the name of uh, Brett Wayne Sawyer, and he's the brother of uh, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. And um, he had had quite a few big runs earlier in, you know, in his life in, like, Portland and uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling and stuff. And um, he ran a wrestling school down here. And um, um, I went for a tryout and started with him and um, um, got to train with him. And uh, Tommy Rogers of the Fantastics was there also training. I learned a lot from Tommy. Um, and that was, like, November '96.
2: Was uh, Tommy Rogers
0: still working uh, a regular
3: schedule then, or?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was working for. Um,
3: mm-hmm. He was
0: working for um, WWF actually at the time. He was working very sporadically, but he was doing a. I don't know if you remember when he did a couple shots on Raw. Um, he did one where he wrestled um, actually his tag team partner Bobby Fulton in a light heavyweight um, tournament match. Um, I'd been in the ring with him the day before he did that match, training with him. And um, then right from there, he, st- he went and did the- his shots with uh, ECW
1: mm-hmm. pretty soon thereafter that. So you
0: started training around 96? Yeah, it was like November 96 I started training, and I had my first match in uh, February 97.
2: So uh, who was your
3: first match against, and uh, how was that first match experience?
0: Oh, man, you want to hear a story, man. <laughs> um <laughs> My first match was against this guy. Um, his name was Maurice the Bull, and he's he's no longer in the business. And it was his first match as well. And um, he was a four, about six foot five, four hundred and fifty pounds. Um, how can I say this? He was mentally retarded.
2: <laughs>
0: clinically, I mean, he there's was no a huge genius about the fact that the guy the guy legitimately had some um had some mental issues.
2: And um
0: <laughs> uh, basically he basically he decided everything was great till we left the dressing room, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and um when we got to the ring he actually when we went to lock up, he looked at me, he says, Me not lose and I said, Oh boy, I'm in trouble and um, shit. And uh, he basically the match was a shoot. It was my first pro match. It actually, was an absolute 100% shoot. And um, my trainer Brett Sawyer was, you know, of course, watching because it was my first match. And he ended up clearing the dressing room to come out and because at the time I was doing a gimmick where I carried a chain to the ring with me, this big heavy chain. And, and, you know, I was defending myself against the guy the best I could, but then finally he was getting the best because of his size. So I grabbed the chain and just started beating the hell out of him with the chain legit. (laughs) And um, so my trainer cleared the dressing room, and uh, pretty soon there was 20 guys in the ring pulling us apart. And, you know, and, of course, I'm saying to myself, well, that's the end of this wrestling career.
1: I'll
0: never get booked anywhere again. So, that, that was quite a first-match experience, I'll tell you. So, I imagine your second match went a little
3: bit more smoothly, didn't it?
0: <laughs> well, needless to say, they put me in a few battle royals after that. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> you know, making sure not that no incidents would happen, you know. But, um, yeah, things
1: things things
0: slowly progressed. They slowly progressed in... Um, I think I got the knack of a little bit, you know. It, it just—I think anybody in that situation, you know, probably would have ended up with a chain in their hand, whacking the guy after a couple minutes, anyways. But. <laughs> At that same show, was that uh, your tag team partner Phil Davis's uh,
3: debut match as well?
0: Um, no, Phil did debut until I believe it was summertime when he debuted. I okay, like well, this was July, is long, July but... or August. Oh,
3: okay. Yeah, and then. Uh, uh, Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You continue,
0: sir. Oh, uh, no, I was going to say, um, I, I'm thinking that's what it was. I, I had my dates all screwed up, but I know I started before him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, You know, and then him and his brother, Scott, actually started um, um working with us. Uh, they, they actually, he has, a, I don't know if a lot of people don't know this, but Phil has a twin brother named Scott um, who also wrestles, but he wrestles sporadically. And uh, he teams with us now in, in six-man matches down here in Florida. But um, they, had, they had pretty much taught themselves to wrestle, and they were just naturals. And they came to our school one day, and they got in the ring, and they'd never been in a ring before. And they got in and just wrestled circles around everybody at the school. Um, so Brett started, um, you know, formally training them. And they started working with us. And, um, you know, I was pretty much married against them with various partners for about uh, about two or three years, um, we, we just wrestled each other constantly all over the place. Then what happened was Scott's work schedule changed, and he wasn't able to keep wrestling on a regular basis, um, and I'd lost my tag team partner, so that's when Phil and I decided to start teaming up.
2: Oh, okay. And so then
0: around then, uh... what time was this? Um, this was in 2000 that we started teaming up.
2: We, okay. had about,
0: we had about three years where it, where I was always feuding with Phil and Scott all over the place. Here, he just does small, really, really small shows here in Florida, and um, you know, then we started teaming up, and that's when things you know, started taking off for us after a little while.
2: Okay, and then
3: uh, a tag team. I know you've been connected with at least in FIP. I see a lot of your results, and uh, you worked a lot with the, the Black Market Express. And what is your uh, oh, Black business?
0: Market? Yeah yeah Joey and yeah Joey Buschetti and uh Sean Murphy yeah yeah they're um, they're a hell of a tag team man they um it was it was kind of weird because for the you know the first you know few years that that Phil and I were teaming up you know first like 3 years or so um you know we kind of became the top tag team on um you know in the Tampa Bay area of Florida and the Orlando area were Black Market. They used to be the Market Crashers. Yes. And they were kind of the top-tag team like in South Florida. And for some reason our paths never seemed to cross with each other. And there was kind of like a legitimate personal animosity between us and them because and our fans are their fans and I don't know for some reason we just um we didn't seem to get along with them the couple times we did meet with them. And um we had been in FIP for a while and we we had already had our uh, we were we were um about a year into our our first reign as FIP Tag Team Champions. And, um, you know, they needed a team to bring in, so they brought them in. They changed their name to Black Market. They brought them in, and, and man, we just had instant chemistry with them from the first match. It was just like, uh, you know, we were meant to be in the ring with those guys. They were meant to be in the ring with us. And um, I think part of it was the fact that there was so much kind of – you know, a little bit of animosity between the two teams, a little bit of uh, legitimate competitiveness between us, that when we went out there, we just legitimately beat the hell out of each other.
2: <laughs> um,
0: I mean, the, the matches with Black Market to this day are, are the absolute stiffest, most brutal matches I've ever been in in my life, and... um you know, we just you know, it would be nothing in one of our matches to take a steel chair and just break, just completely have it mangled after one chair shot to the head because we'd be hitting each other so damn hard with them, you know. <laughs> and um, we just brutalized each other, and you know, and Gabe, uh, Gabe Sapolsky, you know, um, you know, to his credit, you know, he he gave us the ball and he let us run with it, and um, you know, he let's you know, we feuded with him for almost an entire year. And then we broke it off, and now we're feuding with them again because it was the fans wanted it back so bad. You know, and we ended up setting um, we've set the attendance record for FIP on three different occasions, working against Black Market on the top of the card, which I mean to me, I'm really really proud of that because when you look at FIP's roster, you look at guys like Brian Danielson and Roderick Strong, and you know in the past CM Punk and Samoa Joe and all these guys that have been mainstays in FIP, and then you look at who holds the attendance record, and it's the Heartbreak Express and Black Market. I'm pretty proud of
3: that, you know.
2: Speaking of uh,
3: Florida uh, wrestlers, you bring up the name Roger Strong. Have you ever worked Roger Strong, and have you ever taken one
0: of his chops? One of his chops? Roger will just come up and chop you pretty much randomly in the dressing room. I think everybody's. Everybody's taking a Roderick Strong chop from now and then, but um, actually, we go way back with Roderick. Um, he, um, um, I actually ran a small promotion called New Breed Pro Wrestling back in um, 1998 and 99, and uh, Roderick used to wrestle for me while he was still in high school, and uh, he wrestled for me under a mask. He was known as the Jester,
2: okay. and
0: um, he was about 140 pounds at the time. Just an <laughs> absolute stick. Oh wow! I mean, he was—I uh, believe he was 15 when he first started wrestling for me. But um, even then, though, he was an absolute natural in the ring. You know, he, he just would get in and just bump around like crazy for everybody, and uh, he, he was great. He was great from day one. You know, um, he always had something about. It. But he was an arrogant little prick, though, back then. I'm <laughs> sorry, excuse my language. And everybody hated his guts. It was so you know—it's funny looking back now because everybody loves him now. He's like the nicest, most humble guy in the world now. And, you know, now that, now that he's had all this success, you think it would be the opposite way. But he used to be so arrogant that everybody hated him. People would beg me to put put them in the ring with him so that they could stretch him. And, <laughs> um, and um, I wouldn't let them do it. I always protected him because I didn't want a lawsuit on my hands because I was friends with his dad, you know.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: um, a lot of people don't realize his dad was a wrestler, too. It was was um, Elvis Wesley. He did an um, Elvis impersonation gimmick. And um, was pretty popular around here in Tampa Bay area, and that's how that's how um, Chris got involved
3: or Roderick. So uh, you ran your own promotion uh, about one year after you got into business.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was uh, that was a mistake. I'll tell you that one. You know, I just
1: uh,
0: <laughs> a year into the business, I was already sick of the politics I was running into, so I was just like, "Screw it! I'll start my own promotion." And um, I actually did pretty good for a little while. I mean, I had quite a few people um, uh, start with me that actually ended up becoming pretty big names in the business. Like, um, I had um, a kid by the name of C.G. Offey who ended up becoming, um, um, oh, God, I can't even think of what he wrestles as now. He's um, Tony Mamalu. Tony Mamalu he ended up becoming. Okay. Uh, he started with me and... Um, and I had a little girl by the name of Starla Sexton, who was my woman's champion. and She ended up becoming Molly Holly. And um, I'm trying to think who else I had, I had a few people that ended up becoming, you know, pretty pretty big names that um, started out with. So it's kind of cool when I look back on those tapes, you know. Is, is there any tapes that exist of uh, this promotion? Well, I just did my personal collection yeah <laughs> I never released I never released anything of it no it was you know it it was pretty it was pretty bad to be honest with you but, I mean,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> you know it but it, it has a lot of fond memories for myself, you know we brought we would bring um old timers out of retirement, like the biggest show I had I actually drew a crowd of um about eight hundred people to one of my shows, which was a like, huge like unbelievable success is because we brought out um old-timer Bugsy McGraw out of retirement.
2: Oh, wow. Um,
0: and I was just doing it just because I was I liked Bugsy. I was friends with him, and he wanted to get in there and wrestle just for the heck of it. You know, we advertised it. We, we just were in shock when the building was standing room only to see Bugsy McGraw. It was we were all just in shock. We couldn't believe it. And when he came out, it was like Hulk Hogan himself was there. <laughs> um, and I guess it's just because it was like his first match he had in like five or six years in the Tampa area, which was where he was a pretty big star at one time. And um, just all these people came out to see him. And um, you know, and I had just actually did wrestling him on that show. He came out and just absolutely kicked my ass. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> He was a tough old son of a gun, I'll tell you that one. You didn't have your chain with you
1: that night? <laughs>
0: no, no. I'm glad I didn't because I'm sure he would have used it on me. Trust <laughs> me.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, so uh,
3: FIP. Now, uh, that that's uh, kind of the, the – what, what exactly is FIP? Because from what I understand, it's almost like the developmental uh, system, if you want to no, call no, it that, for Ring no, of Honor. A no, lot of the guys get their no, starts no, in okay, FIP exactly. before going to Ring of Honor and –
0: well, it's FIP separate. It's like, like the it's basically the southern version of uh, of Ring of Honor. You know, um, you know, just a little inside information is that uh, Sal Hamoai, who's the um, owner of FIP, he's the guy that is in charge of all the um, DVD production for uh, in the pay, now pay per view production for Ring of Honor. Um, so basically, how FIP started is every month, um Gabe Sapowski. And others from Ring of Honor come down here to Florida to do voiceover work on the uh, Ring of Honor DVDs and to um, shoot promos and do da- various stuff. So um, Sal was already running FIP when he started that re- um, that situation, but he was just using local guys. And basically, um, he offered the booking job to, to Gabe, and um, Gabe jumped on it and uh, from that point kind of restarted FIP. And um, that's when the, the DVDs started. And um, it's a great relationship, man. It's, it's really awesome. Um, FIP is a really unique promotion just because you get to see the stars from Ring of Honor mixed with um, the the absolute best talent from Georgia and Florida. And um, basically, it's almost like Ring of Honor Memphis style.
2: And uh, how are
0: the
3: fans down in Florida? Are they more of the traditional Southern style audience? Or are they a smart audience? Or
0: Oh, God, they're not smart at all, which is great. (laughs) It depends. You know, there's probably maybe 20% of the crowd is a Smart Mark audience, and the rest are just traditional old school, you know, down and dirty wrestling fans, you know. I'll give give you an example. The last time we – actually, the last FIP event, um, we did a big uh, steel cage match where um, it was a war game style cage of pain steel cage match. And um, we did an angle at the end of it where it was uh, it was us and Black Market teaming up against um, the, the heel group, uh, the YRR. And um, at the end of the match, we won the match. At the end of the match, we turned off. The, we had the lights pulled, and uh, we shot fireballs at Black Market and beat him up in the cage, and and the place rioted. Oh, we had we had a full scale riot. There was over six hundred people in the building. And all of a sudden, and we knew the angle was going to be hot, you know, but we had no idea it was going to be like what it was. Uh, pretty soon, everybody was grabbing anything they could get a hold of and, and throwing it at us, throwing it towards the ring. And it got pretty scary because bottles and stuff were, were being overthrown, were missing the cage, and were hitting people in the crowd on the other side. Uh, pretty soon, you literally had people in the crowd with. With gashes on their heads and their arms and stuff from various debris that was being thrown, um, they had to send the full security team into the cage to surround me and Phil and to get us back to the dressing room. Um, it was pretty crazy. It was by far the craziest thing I've ever been involved in, in wrestling. Um, it was it was the most legit heat I've ever been involved in. It was absolutely crazy. Gabe was going nuts. He was like he literally thought they were going to kill us. He thought <laughs> he thought he was, was going to see a lynching and have it right on tape on FIP. You know, it probably would have sold lots of DVDs, but it didn't get that crazy. You know. <laughs> well, that's, that, that that amazes
3: me that because uh, uh, I, I work here in uh, California and uh, we're we're able to attract somewhat of a, a non-smart audience because we we generally try to go after more kids and and uh, adults who are you know smart to the business. Um, we we try, we go to WWE shows and flyer. And then, uh, but in California, predominantly there is a lot. There's a very strong, smart audience that goes to a lot of shows. So, imagining that there's a place in America where fans aren't smart, it it, it sounds like heaven. (laughs)
0: Oh, it's uh, it's fantastic, really. Um, Florida and uh, Georgia is the same way. Georgia is probably even more intense, though. Um, You know, we spend probably an equal amount of time in Georgia as we do here in Florida. And, um, you know, like, we're heading there this Saturday. we gonna about a seven-hour drive to a show in Georgia. And uh, the, the crowds there are the same way, you know. It's like you don't get too close to the front row because there's going to be an 80-year-old lady there hitting you with her purse and stuff. I mean, <laughs> and that literally, I mean, that's like in every show occurrence pretty much, you know. And um, I remember one show we did in Georgia where – um, we had worked an angle where we had um, we had jumped Larry Zabisco, and he was playing babyface in this town, and we were beating him down, and um, the Armstrongs came to make the save, Bob Armstrong and um, Steve Armstrong, and we laid out the Armstrongs, and we, beat, we hammered um, old Bob Armstrong over the head with a chair, and the people started – I mean, Bob Armstrong was like a legend in Georgia – Man, the people started coming unglued, and uh, we quickly tried to get out of the place, and I went over to the police. They had police on duty, and I looked at the cop, and I said, you're going to have to help us get back to the dress room. He looked at me, and he goes, ha, you're on your own. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> shit.
1: obviously, spark cool. up
0: the cops to the business either, you know?
3: <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, I, I, I do want to go into the, the Georgia Athletic Commission thing, but, uh... How come uh, have you worked in in Ring of Honor yet or uh, uh yeah we've been uh, we've made four appearances in Ring of Honor. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not yeah. saying it here in my notes, but uh what what shows did you work for Ring of Honor and who did you work and did you enjoy uh, it? Let's see, uh,
0: Oh, yeah, we had a great time up there, man. And honestly, um it's one of those things where it's probably one of our it's one of our big disappointments in the business so far that I mean, I hate to you know, you don't wanna sound like a complaint about anything because we love the business and we've been so proud and lucky. But we've had two different occasions where we're supposed to go into Ring of Honor with a big, big angle and for whatever reason, things just didn't work out. It didn't happen. you know, um actually, both times we were supposed to go in with an angle the guys we were supposed to go in and work with ended up getting injured and having to take like several months off. One time was we were supposed to do a big feud with homicide and low key and um and homicide got injured and was out for about four months and uh they ended up do signing with t n a so that never happened. And um another time we were supposed to go in as part of a stable with Steve Carino and um Carino and Gabe ended up having a falling out at the time and he ended up leaving yeah. so that didn't come about and um but yeah we have gone a like, we have been able to go up there and do a few small shots. We did um the first time was in um in uh New Jersey. We worked with the uh Christopher Street Connection. Um and that was a lot of fun. They should have booked uh, that one out here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that 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 would have, that would have drew money out here in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are great, man. Those guys we're, we're oh, actually feud awesome. at UXW right now, <laughs> and um, we did a blood fest with them at UXW a couple months ago, and, um, and uh, I think it opened us up to a whole new audience as far as a lot of the fans up in uh, you know the New York area that follow UXW because it was just an insane match. But but anyways, back to Ring of Honor. Yeah, we worked with them the first time. Uh the second time we went was in Long Island. We worked with um uh Dixie, I don't know if you remember Dixie.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh we worked with him and uh Jay Lethal. Oh,
2: okay. And
0: that was a, that was a that was a fun. That's actually one of my all-time favorite matches cuz we got to open that show and it was a it was a pretty big show and um you know, we just said the crowd was rocking the whole time. It was a blast. And um then another we worked uh once against um Lacey's Angels, I don't know if was Cheech and Cloudy. Yes. We worked with them. And uh, then we did another show where we just did an angle. It wasn't really a match, but we went out for a match, but it ended up being us against uh, Jamie Noble. And uh, it was just more of an angle where we just kind of put over Jamie big. It was uh, when he was uh, still Ring of Honor champion.
3: Okay, uh, so I, I just brought it up. Um, you were talking about Georgia about how uh, the cops aren't smartened up. Uh, looking at these new Georgia regulations, it looks like uh, the state athletic commission isn't smartened up either. What do you think about uh, the proposed rules by the Georgia State Athletic Commission?
0: Well, I think it's a big joke to be completely honest with you. I mean, um, well, first of all, thank God it doesn't look like any of this stuff is going to pass. They just put a, um, um, they just moved it back sixty days before they make a vote and. Um, there's just a ton of people fighting this um you know one of my best friends is um Jody Peterman who's a is an AWA promoter and he's one of the top lawyers in Georgia and uh, you know we've got him you know and he's given me the inside on everything I I don't think this is going to go anywhere I think basically it's a bunch of bunch of people on the board that have no idea about anything to do with wrestling I mean some of the things they were proposing like you know <laughs> I mean, you know, it would be an automatic disqualification if you left the ring, you know. I mean, if, if you know, you didn't break, a, if you didn't get out of the ring on the, on the five count in a tag team match, it would be an automatic disqualification. <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous, ridiculous stuff, you know.
3: You could choke uh, a guy to
0: the count of ten. I-, I like that rule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it,
1: just, it was clear that, the,
0: that these people had absolutely no idea what they were talking about, you know. And um, it doesn't look like it's going to pass, thank God, because it would have killed wrestling in Georgia. It would have absolutely killed it, and that's about where half our bookings are, so I wouldn't have been too happy. So um, um, I
3: see here on like, February twenty. yes. I am, I
0: am going to cut you off.
1: Ah.
0: <laughs> Relax. Switch to decaf, young blood. <laughs> All right, Sean. Yeah. You've gotten in the ring with the Briscoes. Yes. What what is your honest opinion on those boys in the ring? Oh uh, I I love Mark and Jay, man. They're like two of my favorite guys in the whole world. I mean they're two of uh, I'm very good friends with Mark and Jay. Um honestly man, they are I mean, you know, you hear people say this kind of stuff all the time. They are two of the most genuinely down-to-earth, nicest guys you will ever meet in your entire life, man. I mean, those guys are just down-home boys. They should—they belong here in Florida because they're just like down-home, like country boys. I don't know what the hell they're doing as being Yankees. You know what I'm saying? They—they <laughs> they should be here in Florida. They're just man. They're the nicest guys in the world, man. And they are just like so willing to give when it comes to being in the ring with them. You know, they're not pushy about getting their spots in. They are just like, what do you want to do? We'll do whatever you guys want to do, you know, however we can put you guys over. They are just the nicest guys, man, you know. um, I, You know, I can't say enough good things about Mark and Jay. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge Briscoe mark. I love their work. They, my only problem is the last six months or so, they they've sped things up in the ring. Um, they slow right. down a little bit. Other well, than that, I mean, you know, I've had this talk with um with them too, you know, because I mean, I, you know, I'm good enough friends with them. I feel I can be honest with them. And like they they had a match on one of the last FIP shows where they worked with um, um a couple guys from up north. I can't even remember their names honestly, but um they they were in for just the weekend. Um and uh, they worked with them and and. It was clear that the Briscoes were totally outclassing these two guys, you know I mean it shouldn't it wasn't even an even match. The two guys that were in there with were really scrawny little guys, and um Mark and Jay let them kick out of all their finishers. I mean they must have hit them with six or seven like big major finishing moves in a row at the end of the match, and they kept letting them kick out of one after another after another after another. And it was just getting to a point where it was kind of ridiculous because I mean it was so obvious that they were just you know that this match should have been over in five minutes you know and uh, but that's how they are though they're just giving they're just very giving guys you know they they really want to make their opponents look as good as possible but um, you know sometimes though it's a little bit overkill. I I think they've watched too much of the Dragon Gate promotion, but that's just me. Um, Right, maybe you know where it's constant. Constant action, and but right. I I'm also thinking it might also be the Booker's problem because I think that right. the enough that Jay and Mark do in a match in a 20 minute match could be stretched to a 40 minute match, but right. a, uh, you know Gabe I I don't want to put Gabe on the spot but Gabe doesn't give them that 40 minutes. You right. know what I'm saying? I I I feel. That they they have this match in their head. They want to get. They want to paint this picture for the people, but they're right. not given a big enough canvas. That's the feeling right. I get. But well, they I are actually, exceptional. You know, that, that could be part of it too. You know, I am a big believer in less is more. But I mean, you know, with, to me, I mean, Mark and Jay could do a quarter of the things they do, and the match would be just as good, if not better. And the thing is, if you'll see this, if Mark and Jay ever go to WWE they'll probably spend six months at Ohio Valley just being told to slow things down. And then when you see them in WWE, um, you'll see that they'll still do the big moves, but you'll see them do a quarter of them, and the ones that they do will mean that much more because they'll mean something. You know, know, not to say that things don't mean anything now, but it's just hard if you're seeing 20 big moves right in a row in
3: in the course of five minutes. How many of those are you really going to remember? Exactly. How do you think the wrestling business got to, to work in that style? Because, I mean, I, I, I grew up and watching, you know, the, the less is more style, and that's a style that I, right. I want to incorporate in the ring. But a lot of guys, they like doing the big moves. They like seeing the big moves. But, I mean, if you tell a good story and lead up to the one big move, it usually means so much more than if you do 15 big moves back to back to back to back. They don't remember them. Oh,
0: no doubt about it, man. No doubt about it. You know, I really – I don't know. I mean, I – I don't know. For some reason, this weekend – or this weekend, I might get my days all screwed up. This week, (laughs) um, I've been watching a lot of old ECW for the last couple days just for some – I don't even know why. I've just been watching, like, a lot of ECW. And um, I pinpoint that kind of starting around that time period, like around, I don't know, 95, 94, 95 – uh, where you started seeing a lot more like, um, you know, constant high spots. It seemed like the fans went from. You could tell those Phil, the Philadelphia fans are very, very. Or at least they were very impatient, and um, they wanted to. They didn't like any types of really story being told. They wanted to see one spot after another spot after another spot, and they wanted to constantly be oohed and odd by each spot, and they wanted each one to blow blow them away more than the one before. And I kind of pinpoint that as the time that everybody that was following ECW then and kind of, like, how that evolved, that's kind of how we got to where we are now with the constant, constant, constant high spots. Um, to me, it's a mistake. It's going to, you know, I mean, like, I'm I'm afraid Mark and Jay will be done by the time they're 35. I, I can't. I don't know if those guys will still be wrestling when they're 35 years old.
2: Never mind,
0: you know, lasting to in their 60s is still wrestling like guys like Terry Funk and Dusty Rhodes and Jerry Loyler, you know.
2: There was something that uh, a,
3: a former guest on Rubber Guard Radio, and, uh, his name is Tyler Black, he's a worker from the Midwest. And, and a piece yeah. of advice that he gave me that I think all uh, wrestlers should listen to is that the fans don't tell you what to do, you tell the fans what to do. And I believe that even in an the audience, they are majorly smart and they want to see you doing the high spots. If you know how to work and you can go in and work that crowd, I think you'll get over to a, a higher extent than if you 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 let the crowd tell you what to do and you let the crowd just you know you know what I'm saying. I'm a... Oh yeah, I'm, I have to agree with Sean
0: about the ECW. Um, about that time period, things did change, and also I think it's it's. A younger audience. See, I grew up in San Francisco, San Francisco territory. Ray Stevens, Buddy Rose, and then from there was the AWA with Vern, and then And then WWF came in. But things were, you know, there weren't, you know, all, all these spots all over. Boom, 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 boom. It's these guys that would sit in there in the ring, tell the story, and then move on. Right. So I, I think I think it's probably younger kids. The MTV, you know, fast food type of mentality, I think, also well, this, helps with yeah, this is This has existed, like, for years, though, like, in um, Mexico. Like, I actually, going back to the Guerreros, um, Hector Guerrero told me a great story once, and uh, he was saying how this was when um, he was a lot younger, and he was in Mexico City, and they were at a big sellout show in Mexico City, and um, he had said he was in a six-man match, and they had half killed each other, doing all the dives, doing all the constant spots, because that's kind of how it's been in Mexico, you know, for, you know, a long time with the constant Lucha style. And um, he said that by the end of the show, the crowd was really burnt out and nobody was, the crowd wasn't really reacting to anything, no matter what the guys were doing. And he said they were sitting in the locker room, and um, he didn't realize what match was out there. And he said all of a sudden the crowd started erupting and going crazy. And then it was quiet down, and then again, it was going crazy. And uh, he said about five minutes later, the crowd was going so crazy that the building was literally shaking. So he said he got up and went out there to see who was wrestling, and it was Lou Fez. <laughs> and he said literally all he was doing was working a hammerlock spot where he kept getting the guy down, the Mexican guy down, and then the Mexican was, re- was reversing his hammerlock, and every time the Mexican would reverse the hammerlock, the crowd was going insane. And it was just because <clears throat> they had seen everything there was to possibly see that whole night, and, but now they were seeing something that actually looked real, and they were actually believing it. So they were going crazy when their hometown guy was reversing it and was beating this American that had come to town. You know, that's and what wrestling's all about. It's about drawing in the fans and getting that emotion out of them.
2: See, I, don't wanna, I, I have a perfect,
0: perfect analogy here for Mexico. Okay. Now, the kids that are breaking in, they want to be Rey Mysterio Jr. as opposed to Blue Panther. And if you right. know Blue Panther, he is a map-based guy. He's always been. He's, he's been compared to uh, Dean Malenko in the States. You know, grounded, really grounded, and now the kids just want to fly, and uh, I don't know. That's not wrestling. That that's gymnastics. That's acrobats. You know, I mean, I, I do love a high spot from time to time, but I, I well, everything, prefer... everything has its place, you know. Well, yeah, of course, of course, mm-hmm. if it's built, if it's built and it's sold properly, you know, I don't want to see some guy do a dive, the other guy, you know, gets nailed, and the other guy gets right back up. Exactly. What the hell is that?
3: I don't want to date myself, but I'm 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 24 years old, and uh, I guess I could be considered the MTV generation. And uh, I get ribbed on a lot because I buy a lot of old tapes. Like right now on my TV, I got a uh, Ricky Steamboat, Rick Flair from '89. Right. And um,
2: no, you can't beat it. I mean,
3: I I think it's partially because I was never an athlete in high school. I was an, I was an actor, and um, I was never the most athletic kid. So I knew that when I got into wrestling, I wasn't going to be able to do that high-impact, fast style, and then that's why I started paying more attention to guys who went in there and told the good story, and then I started realizing as I was going to shows that guys who work that kind of style, they you, you got the bigger reactions, and then I started piecing all the pieces of the puzzle together, that, you know,
2: I would rather Sorry. be that guy
3: that, because uh, I am a spot I do where uh, I give the guy a snap man and I jump on the second rope. And then I call, like, I'm going to do this big flip move or whatever, and I end up just jumping down and giving the guy a headlock. And I got Not such right. a huge reaction uh, in my first match when I did it.
2: And then uh, I'll be honest,
3: my trainers uh, have stolen it a couple of times when they've worked shows. And it, it always gets such a large reaction, and it's, right. it's nothing. It's nothing, and I'll never hurt myself. Well, I could, you know, slip and break my ankle doing it, but, I mean,
2: right. it doesn't hurt
3: me. It doesn't hurt the other guy and I guarantee you people are going to remember that more than if I went out there and did 50 high spots.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You have got it, man.
3: No okay. We it. are uh we're coming down to
0: 7 minutes. So, All right. Alex, um, I'm just going to do a little one-on-one with uh, Sean real quick okay. before we wrap up. Um, who were your influences? Well, um, there're just there's so many. I mean, I Other than, I other than Dusty Rhodes.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, man, I hear Duff the Rose being here in Florida, I can't go to an all-you-can-eat buffet or a flea market because that's all I'll hear is, hey, are you related to Duff the Roads? I hear that so many times, it is absolutely ridiculous. But um I love Dusty, he's a super nice guy, he's always been really cool to me, but whatever. Um, I still don't want to
1: be compared to him constantly. <laughs> but anyways,
0: yeah, honestly the first guys that really caught my attention were once again go back to world class were the fabulous Freebirds. Um, you know, I just I remember sitting there with my cousins being about seven years old watching the Freebirds versus the Von Erickson. I was absolutely hooked. There was just something about their style, their their they as colorful as they were, the way Michael Hayes could talk. I mean, they just totally captured your imagination. You totally believed in who they were. Um, you know, and and meeting them a couple times when they were getting a little older but still still wrestling, they pretty much lived their gimmick, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: Did you see the um, WWE's
0: New World Class TVD? Yes, yeah, I've watched it oh, already. Good stuff. Yeah, really good stuff. I they, and uh, a lot of people are comparing it to the Heroes of World Class DVD. Wow! And to me, you got to have both, man. Have both, exactly, both, because they're they're both good for different reasons. You know, they both have different things that are really good about them. I, I'm just such a huge World Class fan that I just devour anything like that. You know, um, I've got probably a hundred DVDs of uh, World Class wrestling. You know, full, you know bootleg stuff, and uh, I just I love that stuff. I can watch it nonstop. That in Memphis, pretty much. But um, going back to influences, yeah, the Freebirds, um, definitely the Midnight Express. Um, the guys I have to agree. The, most from, the guys that I've learned the most from since getting into the business have been the Midnight Express, Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton, and the Rock and Roll Express, Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton. Um, Those are the guys that have actually sat down with me and Phil and have taken the time to really teach us, the fundamentals of tag team wrestling. And uh we've been so, so blessed to have been able to work with both teams several times and to you know, strike up a real friendship with all four guys. And um there's nothing like sitting in a dressing room with Dennis Condry for four or five hours and just having him explain the basics of tag team wrestling to you. I mean, there's just there's, to me I'm in ecstasy in a situation like that. You know, you just can't beat it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if if you can't if you can't get heat on Ricky Morton, if you can't right. get the fans to sympathize with him, you have no business in the fucking ring. Right, right. No. Doubt I mean, about that's, we had Baby Doll on uh, last week, and, and she said that she said it. Baby Doll. You know, if if you can't get heat on Ricky Morton, you have no business wrestling.
2: Have you, you guys, guys ever had
0: Ricky on the show? Ricky, I'm trying to get Rick on. I okay I'm man, really, if you ever to. get Rick on, you need to do at least a two parter with him, and the first thing you need to do is you need to get about a six pack or a twelve pack of beer in him <laughs> and you will have you will be able to get a word in edgewise if you get him going right because that man has so many stories um last time I was with Ricky the, the quick story here we were in Georgia. And we had done a show the night before, and we went to the – we were at a, um, a local buffet the next day. It was uh, Ricky Morton, um, me and Phil, a couple other local wrestlers. And Ricky started – we were all together, sitting together, you know. And um, it was breakfast time, and the place was packed out, and Ricky started telling stories. Pretty soon – Literally half the restaurant was standing around our tables listening to Ricky tell his stories, man. It was unbelievable. That, that man needs to write a book. And then, <laughs> oh my him. God. And then be, get the, gonna, if, a, It would be an R-rated book, but it's gonna be, he's going to do it. It would be bigger than the rough cut of uh, Bret Hart's book. Bret Hart's rough cut was over 1,000 thousand pages. Was but, it really? My God! Yeah, they had to really cut it down, but they're, they'll eventually, hopefully, put the whole damn thing out. But uh, yeah, we're running down to three minutes. Okay. So, Sean, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, it was a oh, pleasure man, for a me. Time. And um, I'm sure that Alex on the other line, you know, got a got a history lesson and and learned a couple things. Um, cool, man. Uh, I would like. Uh, I would like to uh, probably see what we can do about getting you to come out to San Diego to work for the <laughs> promotion that Alex works for. Uh, how do you feel about San Diego? Oh, man, I'd love to come back. I've been to San Diego once. I'd love to come back to San Diego.
2: Okay, well,
0: what we'll do is Alex will get in contact with you, and we'll see what we can hook up. he have got he's Ryan's phone number
3: and his uh, cell phone. He Ryan. Oh, well, you,
0: you, you have the boss's number, so. <laughs> oh right! Oh, is he
3: the is he the boss? Yeah,
0: he's, yeah, the boss, he's
1: man, he's the boss. Oh,
0: okay, all right, I know. all right. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to give theory. you exactly one minute to plug what you need to get plugged. Okay, sure, man. Um, you know, everybody go to the Heartbreak Express website www.heartbreakexpress.com. com. You can also go to the AWA website. It's www.awastars.com. com. Find all about the AWA World Tag Team Champions, the Heartbreak Express, where we're coming to town. Um, also go to www.fullimpactpro.com to find out about our big upcoming double dog collar bloodbath loser must retire match with Black Market. All righty. Sean, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. The next time we got to get Phil on with you, we'll do a little discussion on tag team wrestling. So uh, I will be in
3: contact
0: all right. Thank you for calling in. I really appreciate it, brother. Thank you, guys. I had a great time. You guys take care. All brother. All right. All righty, wrestling fans. That was Heartbreak Express member Sean Davis. Uh, that was a pretty fun show um, from top to bottom. It was just good stuff. Uh, remember to visit Rubber Guard Radio's sponsor, IVP Videos, www.ivpvideos.com. Two ninety nine 99 single disk ninety nine double disc, Lucha, Puro, uh, some early MMA. He's got a lot of uh, garbage wrestling, uh, indie sleaze. He's got all kinds of stuff. He's got best ofs. He's got a kick-ass Bruiser Brody set on there. Uh, you can also check us out at www.myspace.com backslash rubberguardradio. If you are in the business a worker, promoter, referee, manager, and you would love to be interviewed, contact me. Or if you're a fan, contact me. I love to have friends. And we will be back tomorrow night with our special guest, David Fuller. And who knows what else? Take it easy, guys. We'll see you later.